Hello and welcome to another edition of Don't Shoot the Deputies, a podcast run by two deputy heads living on opposite sides of the country. Hiya, Steve. Hello, everyone. Hi, Russell. It's been a long time, no see. Do you know what? I mean, me and you have been meaning to chat for ages, haven't we? But uh, life gets a bit mad in summer too, doesn't it? It definitely does. I think term six is the dreaded term. I know talking to NQTs that we have had over the last couple of years, I always say that it's not the Christmas term, it's not Easter, it's always that summer term that is the one to survive. Absolutely. It has been bonkers and I'm sure you can all relate and there's a lot of people listening thinking, oh my God, I'm on my knees. And I have to say, I've been going around 10 years now and I just still am amazed by how much we try and cram in in the summer term. Uh, And certainly from a leadership position, it's kind of a positive thing. But, you know, we're investing a lot of energy in this half term in thinking about autumn and trying to be a step ahead and organised. But your energy levels don't quite match your ambitions and your desires to get things sorted. I'm sure you can relate to that, Steve. Definitely. I think uh, the sun-kissed look is a long way away, even though we're in summer, isn't it? Uh, there's about 20 things to do in a day, and then your list gets to Friday, and you think, I haven't even touched the surface of this. And come the next week, you've already got pressure of everything else going on. And if you're in year six or up key stage two, you already know you've got the dreaded show. Yeah. Um, and then you've got reports as well. So lots to look forward to in a sarcastic way. It's relentless, but look, guys, it's not long to go now and give it a week or so. You'll be starting to see light at the end of the tunnel and you'll just be excited about having a a nice positive final week. Now, before we get all heavy and get into our focus for today, Steve, just anything to catch up on about you since we last spoke? Anything exciting going on? Got a bit of news. Um, I might not make it to the final day of term because the missus is expecting and she's now 36 weeks this week. So, uh, Woohoo! We may not make it to the final day on the 12th, or no, 23rd, is it, of July that we break up? So we may be there, we may not be, we may be in a hospital. But um, yeah, when I think how bad it is for me at school, I do think of her in this hot weather now. So, oh, congrats, Steve. Thank you, sir. So it will bring me great pleasure watching Steve have his first one because I've always thought it'd be an absolutely amazing dad, super caring. But when Steve and I first met in our school in Kent, when I first joined there, I had already become a daddy and I think I already had a few greys coming out the side of my head and I already had that kind of worn down look of someone that wasn't sleeping properly and I just can't wait to watch that happen to Steve and him just slowly descend into (laughs) (laughs) oh Steve you're gonna be great and you're gonna absolutely love it and uh you have you found out what you're having I think you have haven't you we're having a little girl yeah Yeah, I'm having having a little girl I'm very inspired by the England Lionesses at the moment Wow, um, yeah. I think of what I'd love her to be doing in the future. Yeah, so one of the things Steve and I have always bonded over is football. We played a lot of five-a-side when I was living back in Kent. And uh, Steve, I don't want to lose kind of followers on this, but he is a dedicated Sheffield Wednesday fan. I have to say Sheffield Wednesday, not Sheffield United. Um, yeah, I think you need to talk to Chris Dyson. Is he Sheffield uh, I did see a post he put about him going to a certain Sheffield United Man U game. In a- yeah. On my birthday, I think it is actually. So look, he took me. He let me come up to Leeds and meet him, Steve. But if you go around announcing on podcasts you're a Sheffield Wednesday fan, he might not have you up to Leeds if you ever fancy the visit. 
but anyway yeah future uh maybe england lioness you, you've got coming in there steve so congrats i'm excited for you and i can't really match your excitement i've got hopefully an extension happening on my house which isn't quite <laughs> isn't quite as exciting and uh, I, I think it's going to be a bit slower arriving than your uh, <laughs> than your little one because i feel like i've been living in a bombshell for about three months but there we go but big news nonetheless yeah big news it'll be nice nice to uh nice to have it when it's all done all right guys so uh on to on to the business which is curriculum tonight now i know everybody's been thinking about this massively and uh it was kind of impossible for us to avoid talking about and i think when i say curriculum i think about the conversations i've been hearing on facebook and twitter and it's probably like i don't know a 70 30 split between the 70 being people that are just highly anxious or worried and 30 percent about really positive conversations about it so i think I don't know whether you're picking up the same, Steve, but there's a lot of worry and anxiety about people developing curriculums for or curricula for the next couple of years. Are you are you getting that vibe? Yeah, definitely getting that vibe. I mean, we've got the pressure of knowledge against skills and so chuck a bit of fun in there, enrichment activities, community activities. And it kind of boils down to those three words, it? intent, implementation and impact. And three little words, but there's a heck of a lot of work to be done to make sure that we're solid in all of them. I think everyone's kind of chasing this dream of the perfect curriculum and mm. we need to step back and realise that this is going to take a long time. And Offset have kind of said that as well, um, but they are definitely looking at us, at us as a senior and middle leadership team and how we're going to implement this perfect curriculum over time. Yeah, and it's really interesting because as soon as you start talking about something that's perfect or brilliant or great, um, straight away what comes to mind for me is is what is perfect or great is going to need to look and feel different in different schools and in different communities, possibly. Absolutely. I think um, for me, we're, we're in a trust now and we know within the trust that uh, five, ten miles down the road, the school that's doing the, their curriculum is not going to be identical to us because naturally we have to be different. We live in a different catchment and things run differently in different areas. And we have to acknowledge that. Yeah, there's been a lot of generosity with people sharing things. So uh, Chris Dyson, I mentioned earlier, he was very generously sharing his curriculum um, around. And I have no doubt whatsoever that will give a lot of people a lot of help. But what I found as soon as I started to look at other people's curriculums, I realised it's a bit like picking someone else's lesson plan up, isn't it? It's like their thinking process. So much thinking goes into designing a curriculum that while things can be really helpful to generate ideas and whatnot, when you're just picking up something, whether that's a product that's been developed by someone or whether that's someone else's curriculum, it, you've got to feel like you own it as well, haven't you? Yeah, I think the analogy you just used of the lesson plan is perfect, actually. I said mm-hmm. perfect again, didn't I? But, um, you're right. You, I, I know I've only worked in a, single form year six and next year i'm working alongside a year partner because we're finally two form right in my head i'm trying to combat this well if we do share planning it's less work to a degree but i still have to personalize the planning because you can't just take someone's plan and do it and that's Mm. the same as a curriculum you can't take an off-the-shelf curriculum and expect it to work for you so what do you think steve like one thing I thought we could explore, and we've kind of touched on a few things already, but start by just thinking about what are the challenges of developing a curriculum? What do you see from your point of view as kind of the biggest things that people have to overcome or think about? I think time is a massive factor. I know for us at the school, we're trying to timetable the wider curriculum into our 
uh, curriculum as it stands. And it's difficult to fit every lesson in and make sure the children are getting the adequate time for PE, computing. Yeah. RM. You've got so many hats to juggle there. And you need to have people that have got experience and the real um, gravitas to make sure that they're leading their subject. And sometimes in a school, particularly one form I can imagine, mm. having the right people for the right subjects can be a real ask without putting extra burden on staff. That's a really good point, the, the thing about balance, because we've heard this phrase balance curriculum thrown around for many, many years that, that it should be, yet we know that in the vast majority of schools, English and maths, perhaps quite rightly in many cases, will continue to dominate mornings. Um, so you're quite right that once you're left with five afternoons and two hours of statutory PE, you're suddenly really quite... Um, is quite tight, isn't it, then to, to fit everything else in and give it a good deal. But one of the conversations we were having at our school, because that was our starting point, was to think about balance, you know, how much, because you kind of can't go about designing your curriculum until you're a bit clearer about how much time each subject is actually going to get. But was really around how much time do these things get already? You know, what's going on in our school already? And we put, or I put on Facebook and Twitter, uh, I think yesterday, um, some some questions that we had asked our pupils about their kind of amount of different subjects they were getting. And I think it's still the case in a lot of schools, unless anyone sat down and mapped out how much time those subjects should get, it is kind of hit or miss, isn't it? It depends on teachers' interests, etc. how much each of those subjects get. Yeah, and uh, I'm, a, I'm one of the worst examples. Uh, I remember in my NQT year, um, just finished year three with my class, and um, went to pass on the books to the new year four teacher who was you um oh, yeah. I, started, I passed on some blank re books I think <laughs> they in the, in the back of my cupboard and for some reason i just i covered some re not not masses but you know when you think i never got anything in the books there mm. i think that's another worry because everyone knows when offset arrived the, the books are vital and therefore it's what do you record in your books as well that shows a progress um, be a progression in the skills and see impact all three mm. of them need to be done and again that's putting the pressure on straight away well i think i think the point is 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 there's a duty here from senior leaders designing or redesigning curriculars is to say you know that's not a responsibility that should be left in the hands of teachers um not because they're not capable but they just shouldn't be expected to have to think about the, the the balance over the year you know all of us if given completely free reign will end up not balancing things out or favoring the subjects we feel most comfortable with and you're quite you gave a good example of being an nqt that wasn't you know, couldn't possibly have been in your remit um, to understand or to, you know, time a whole worth of year or map a whole year out in terms of balance of, of the curriculum areas. That, that that wasn't really within your remit at that level of experience, was it? So there's something to be said now as people redevelop. I really encourage people if they're thinking about, oh my God, where do I start? Balancing the time of those different subjects is the perfect place to begin in my view. Yes, yeah, and I think... That's definitely what I've worked on very recently as a curriculum lead for next year. Mm. Just looking at the, the time allocation to every subject to make sure it's doable mm. for every teacher. If you know you've got a timetable that can physically work without the pressures of, oh, I need to squeeze in 20 minutes a week of French here and make sure they're A, writing down some French and B, showing progression. If we can take off that strain ever so slightly, the teachers will be more comfortable with making and helping shape a curriculum that works for everybody. Yeah, and I think one thing that I'd really encourage people to 
kind of be aware of as they do this is you'll never get a balance that you feel a hundred percent perfectly comfortable with i mean uh, becky my uh, curriculum leader myself we've worked on this really hard and i don't feel at all like you know every subject gets as much time as i'd love our children to have of those subjects but i know we've got a better deal for the children than they've had in the past you know we we sort of sat down and we said oh do you think you know in the past children would have had this many hours of dt across their year as they're going to get in this new deal or this many hours of re etc and kind of we actually feel that by balancing it out and making the almost subject specific focus a little bit more sharp that children are i think going to get a better deal across the whole range of subjects it's going to be because it's more precise and because we are being a bit clearer about the amount of time different subjects should get across the year I think everything's going to be a bit more focused yes yeah and I agree with that I think from our point of view we, we have an on-the-shelf curriculum at the moment I won't say whose it is and it's not a bad curriculum at all um, as long as you're tweaking I would say some of these off-the-shelf curriculums really do take good teachers to embed it and uh, teach it to the children so mm. we're going from that to our trusts curriculum and we've got a heavily weighted geography um, topic in term two for example then across term three and four we've got more history and then finish with science at the end but that's not to say that we're not doing the them subjects throughout the whole year but there's just more of a focused topic yeah hopefully that again brings that focus of the mind to have the confidence of Oh, yeah. For example, I'm doing biomes and biomes really leads well in geography. And then you can see the progression of skills that you're going to do throughout the topic whilst covering history, uh, science uh, for inquiry as well. So you just have to have that focus of mind when planning this curriculum that you're going to teach. Yeah. And I think what you're getting to there is whatever balance you end up creating it's going to be unique to that school, I expect. But also it's about the thinking process that's gone into it. And if you as a set of leaders are clear, well, this is why we've laid it out like this. And we, we do feel this, this is the right deal for our children. And that your staff are then communicated clearly to about that thinking process and that they get the why behind it. Then that's that's a really good start, isn't it? And, you know, that's that's still miles better than something that's never been thought about that has been hit and miss. Um, you know, I think anyone leading on curriculum does feel quite an overwhelming sense of responsibility that they're designing something that they don't want to um, have to overhaul too soon. It's kind of it's the next big challenge in my mind about this whole curriculum thing. It's designing something that's going to at least retain maybe 80% of its identity in the years beyond. You know, yes, we want something that's tweakable and adjustable and it's not going to be perfect in year one, but no teacher wants the SLT to announce after a year, yeah, we got that completely wrong. We're going to start all over and redesign it again. And, you know, that was what one of my teachers said to me this week. I said, honestly, you know, what do you think after we had a, a staff meeting about it? And she said, no, I really like it. She said, I just don't want it to have to change again after a year. And I think that's the exhausting thing for teachers, isn't it? Is getting used to something and then having to start all over again. Yeah, it can't be a knee-jerk reaction. You can't expect to come in straight away and go, this is our curriculum and we're doing it this year. And this time next year you'd go, oh, it didn't really work that one. So I've got a new one for you. It won't work like that. And we're trying to be really mindful of, let's tackle term one first and term one and two, make sure we're secure with what we're, trying to get out of the curriculum here before we then go into three, term three, term four and so on is steps as well. And often of a knowledge that 
little steps can get you far actually um mm. i was just talking to one of our teachers and they said where do you start with this curriculum like to create your own one i said well the na- national curriculum is a starting point because that's just a set of ingredients yeah that can be included in your curriculum and then you it's up to us we, we've got a lot of autonomy here we need to inspire challenge and excite and prepare these kids for the future so take the national curriculum see that as a guide and then that will steer you in the right direction well that's a great point about the curriculum steve the national curriculum is that you know the conference that really got becky and i thinking about this curriculum design was by andrew percival and um claire Celia, who and claire's going to join us on our next podcast hopefully and talk this through a bit more but what what was really good talking to them about this was um they they were just really encouraging us to think right back to that time uh when you know the new curriculum came out because they made the great point that the new curriculum came out at the same time that life without levels kicked in and new assessments were about to kick in and actually schools at that stage and we didn't even have a paper copy of the national curriculum given to us like we did with the old curriculum so actually the curriculum kind of went past us over our heads. We were too busy about worrying about maths and English and getting ready for new tests in 2016. Now's the time to stop, pick that national curriculum back up and go, what is in there? You know, what, 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 what should we really make sure we're hitting? And you're right in that there's a lot there that you can work with because, so it's not a completely blank canvas, but equally it's loose enough to give you a fair amount of flexibility. And it's that whole thing is some people kind of hate that because they would rather something be kind of a bit more detailed and nationally agreed. But for people like myself, if I've got a bit of time to work on this and we have worked on this for some time now, there's something really exciting going, right, how do we map the, this kind of knowledge or skills across time and it's really different in different subjects steve isn't it like history it does tell you about a certain amount of british history that needs to be in there or a certain amount of like world history or non-european histories etc so there's a bit of choice there but then when you get to something like geography it kind of doesn't give you the uh, kind of the topic heading or unit heading it gives you all the stuff that's got to be in geography in key stage one and two but how we then set that out into an order that's kind of shows progression that's completely up to us isn't it yeah and you're you're so right and i remember sitting there last week doing a bit of curriculum work and i was looking at the topics and thinking hold on what does music look like in that topic and then what are the standards like for the music within this topic and what evidence do i have to collect and ask for the teachers like how will we demonstrate that we're teaching music effectively in that topic and then Mm. it led to silly questions like right do we have a topic book only or do we get music books and so on and we'd step back and go whoa whoa, let's not pressurize ourselves into what we're doing here Mm. we know what works best for the children and in terms of the intent there what are the expectations what is the knowledge and what's the rationale behind what we're doing here that's a really good point about sorry steve that's a really good point about rationale isn't it it's the it's the thinking that's gone into why are we doing it in the way we're doing it so for us something that was really important was we actually really felt quite passionately that we wanted to bring back subjects, specific disciplines. We recognised yeah. that children had a generic label for everything that wasn't maths and English, and it was 
that the word was topic and some people might have no problem with that and if you don't that's fine I'm not criticizing that but in our school that did bother me because it bothered me that a child didn't understand whether they were thinking like a historian or a geographer because I feel they the disciplines of those subjects are important and it's not that I'm anti cross-curricular in fact we've developed some really powerful cross-curricular links but what Claire Seeley and Andrew Percival spoke about that really inspired me is they talked about I mean, you were talking about kind of thinking about your year earlier, Stephen. You were talking about making sure at least your first term sorted. Well, to a certain extent, I, we're in the same position in terms of the detail. So the detail of term one is, is, is what's sorted. But in terms of the mapping out of all the subjects and the units for the whole year and the whole school, that, that is done. I don't know where you're with that, but that, that, that is done. And the detail will come a bit later in some of those areas because it's a mammoth piece of work to thrash that out. But for us, we, we started by taking a subject, we started with history and we went, what's a child's journey in history in our school from year one to year six going to look like? And that is just a really lovely way to begin your curriculum journey. And then when you then do that for the next subject, and you start doing that for geography for argument's sake, what really happens quite magically is you start going, Oh, well, there's a really obvious cross-curricular link just by chance, you know, that's powerful. Let's make that. And then there are other times you go, well, there's no link there at all. Let's not make it. That's, that's not necessary. And for us, that for our school, I can only talk about our school. That was a real different um, kind of starting point because in the past, people would say, here's my topic. What are all the lovely activities and cross-curricular links I can make? And fully, you know, appreciating now on reflection that that didn't necessarily allow for progression over time in a certain subject. Is that something you relate to at all? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think you can't force the issue sometimes. Mm. And um, I think for us, uh, we had Ofsted this year. They looked at the curriculum. It's making sure they like to be able to open the books and we're not doing it for them. I totally uh, don't want anyone to think that's what I'm saying. But no. it's nice as a child to open the book and go, this was the piece of geography I was doing. I was being a geographer or a historian by doing this skill and learning it. And it kind of all pieces together then. And mm. it's quite nice because um, I know you spoke with children recently. You said earlier, mm-hmm. uh, I can imagine the feedback when oh, you said that. Steve, it was so funny. A piece of, uh, history that you did this year. I would love to know the response. And how did you do it? Did you talk to them as a group or individually, get them to write the answers? Because I think pupil voice is the most telling for the wider yeah. well, for us um I, in a way i wish we'd done it earlier but to be honest it didn't tell us anything we were overly surprised by we kind of have done it very much for ourselves because we thought actually wouldn't it be nice to have a snapshot of children's view of curriculum now and sort of do that again in six months and then again in a year and yeah that's lovely to show other people but that's more for us it's more for our own confirmation is have we moved forward with this um and there's always a limit to how reliable a that is as a piece of data is talking to children but it always gives you an insight I mean uh, we so we had already started work on the curriculum and then felt you know yeah let's 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 talk to a few children so just one of our um sort of uh teaching assistants actually we gave we gave the survey to and we just said could you just go and catch up with a a range of children so she chose a quite a random sample of about a dozen children across the school and ask them those eight questions that if you don't know what we're referring to, we're on our Twitter and Facebook page, but just they're, they're generic questions like, you know, what's your favorite, you know, or can you tell me five subjects that you learn at school other than maths and English or, um, you know, what, what's your teacher's, I mean, my favorite one is what is your teacher's favorite? What do you think your teacher's favorite subjects other than English and maths is? Because 
I'm a strong believer that children pick up our passions and uh, I, I was really interested but my favorite favorite answer to that which I put on the on, a, on the comments on the Facebook page and, and on the thread on the Twitter page was uh, so um, we asked children what 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 do you think your ta- uh, teacher's favorite subject is other than maths and English and the child said I think it's SRE because she loves saying those rude words over and over again, <laughs> um, which just really, uh, really, really made me laugh. But um, it, it's revealing and, and it told us some things we knew that children weren't really using that language of subject specific disciplines. They couldn't really reflect on enough, uh, you know, to the extent we'd like on, on what they'd done in certain subjects. And it also revealed where certain subjects were getting a much bigger sort of lion's share of the uh of, of the time so it was nothing we didn't know and it wasn't about making people feel bad or making teachers feel bad because actually the structures and systems that are in our curriculum at the moment have to come from slt as i said earlier that can't be left to chance that can't be expected that teachers have to somehow in their heads map out a whole year of balance and and just keep that sort of intuitively going in their head making sure they're tossing up the same amount of hours for every subject that that can't be all on them you have to put systems and structures in place that just allow that balance to happen um, and then free teachers up just to teach I mean for me one of the biggest challenges moving on from all those points was also about what what content you do put in and how prescriptive do you be do you be with that and I think that's something that a lot of people have been talking about online is how how much do they tell teachers what they want them to teach where do you stand with that steve <laughs> mixed balance really because um i think having autonomy as a teacher is what we all love um so you can't we, we shouldn't be trying to please the wider picture we should be letting our teachers deliver and i think having confidence in the staff goes a long long way and i think when we're looking at how we implement this curriculum we're really looking at Yes, the quality of teaching has got to be there, but how are we getting there? What CPD are we giving? What mm. pedagogy are we looking at? And how are we closing the gaps in these pupils' experiences? And I think we need to be brave and we need to go, look, as a staff, we can work together here and mm-hmm. give people that outlet and chance to have a, a say in how they wish to deliver it. Now, I'm not saying go blind or go free will and say, just go teach what you want. Um, I think if we've got the right knowledge maps and skills maps for the curriculum, then the concepts will develop within the topic. But you hit the nail on the head, Steve. You said we were, you know, about letting them decide how to teach it. And that's the conversation we've had in our school is actually we are going to tell you what we'd like the content to be. But how you make that come alive for the children, how you, you know, enable them to learn that is up to you. And that was a real, that was a real hard decision about the what to teach. You know, we, we ummed and ahed about how much freedom to give people with that. And actually, we decided after a while that we've had certain topics, to go back to that word, that's been in our curriculum for, for donkey's years, like Egyptians, like Romans, those classic history ones. But, yeah, but what experience children get of those units is completely up to chance at the moment as to what teacher happens to be in there yes they'll get maybe half the same content but the rest will be down to what the teacher just decided they were going to do and again for me that's a responsibility it's not that people aren't able to think of the content it's not that they're not capable I actually just don't think they should have to I don't think a teacher should have to sit down and go right I've got the Egyptians coming up I've got to decide on what the content is. That's an enormous burden because what we see as senior leaders is the bigger picture of that child's education. And what that teacher might 
inadvertently do is give them knowledge or skills that doesn't build at all on the previous year um, of what that child got in history the previous year. So our job is to think big and go, well, actually, no, it's really vital we we say what the child's going to learn in Egyptians in that year because actually that builds on something that happened the previous year. And if they don't know this, this and this, that's not going to set them up well for the following year when they're then doing this history unit. So we, we made the decision that we were going to be quite prescriptive about the content about the what to teach but we've said mm. to people how that comes alive that's where we'd like you to invest your time from now on i don't want you spending half your ppa time mapping out all the stuff you've got to teach i want you to spend that time putting your slides together and deciding on what's going to be in your lessons that's what i want you to do yeah. that's an effective uh, leadership team they're actually really supporting the teachers because you do not want pressure and panic every week going i need to create something new now for the Egyptians. exactly and if you've got, and, and you know what happens then, you resort to bog standard resources online, anything you can find on TES or certain uh, websites. I know what you mean. And it really takes me back to my initial days as a math subject leader, Steve, because I came from the view as a math subject leader of, I love maths, you know, don't give me any resources, don't give me any schemes. I want freedom. So I would dip my toes into a bit of enrich and then a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of that. And I would put, I would cobble together this week of exciting resources and I would expect others to do the same. But what I didn't realize, and I do now in hindsight, is I was expecting too much of people that weren't necessarily specialists in that subject is actually yeah. you've got to give someone something. You know, fortunately, we're in a time now where there's some free, fantastic resources like White Rose for Maths, for example, where mm -hmm. actually the starting point is so good that if teachers then want to tweak that or modify that, They've got a lot to go on. And I felt for our wider curriculum, we needed to do the same. We needed to give people an initial structure. They shouldn't be having to just think up knowledge content. And also, while we do become knowledgeable, more knowledgeable over our years of teaching, we don't know everything about every history and geography thing in every year group, particularly if we then switch year groups to someone new and we've never taught World War II before. We might not, might not have done that beyond, you know, year nine at school. So... Actually, right, that's not our job to know all that. <laughs> no, uh, well, don't get me wrong. I want teachers to be as knowledgeable as possible, but we're never going to know everything. And I think we've had some really good chats in my head about the fact that, like, she and I were educating very different education systems. And I think, I don't know what your experience was, Steve, but I was taught under a system that I would call quite no knowledge um, poor. Um, knowledge was not placed as a real important thing when I was going through my education. So I have come out of school with all sorts of gaps in my knowledge about history and geography and you know I've had to really brush up on a lot of things uh, stuff that she could just reel off because of the type of education she had so I think it's important to acknowledge that our curriculum design is also sometimes informed by what kind of education experience we had. I absolutely agree with that and I, I think you're right I, I know from well I know teachers that are really fearful of upper key stage two not for the fact they're not amazing teachers but they always worry about the content and the knowledge. And you think, yeah, um, that applies to everyone. I, I have that thought and I think, God, yeah, I've got huge gaps in my learning sometimes. And we only get there by learning it ourselves. And then the pressure's on to make sure that we know it well enough to teach it to our children. That's but right. I think we can shape that curriculum that we're looking for now. Yeah. We, we go through that panic and think we want our children to be secure. Yeah. This and know these skills. And you made a great point, Steve, is that if that knowledge hasn't been outlined somewhere and, and, you know, put on a document somewhere, 
what happens is teachers are working with such a fragile framework of information that they resort to just getting things off the internet because their time is precious and they're being asked to do that for all subjects so what do you do you go on ts you go on a website and you pull something off you don't necessarily have the time to critically assess whether the information's reliable whether it's trustworthy where if someone in the curriculum design process has done that research has checked their facts they've put the right dates in and you've got some sort of document and i am not talking about a planning document here i'm talking about we're calling them unit overview okay which is basically a list of statements that say know that and it's the things and that's been inspired by Andrew Percival's work in his school in Oldham but it's what is the stuff children have got to know so they read like a very dull document what we're not saying is we want dull lessons we're saying look this is the stuff children need to come out knowing but here's your starting point you know it's your job now to break that into a succession of six sessions or 12 if it's over a full term or whatever decide how you're going to chunk that knowledge into different pieces decide how you're going to deliver that decide whether that's going to be a really practical session whether that's going to be more of a pen and paper lesson that's up to you but your job is to make children love this be engaged in this and to come out knowing it yeah uh, well I, I don't know what else to say because i think you just hear so true that that's how it should be in the sense of give the freedom to express as a teacher but don't expect every teacher to know every area of the curriculum like they do off by heart no. i mean modern, modern foreign language can be terrifying to some teachers yeah. don't just give them nothing and expect them to deliver everything I think there's an equal balance between the two here. Yeah, and if you acknowledge that you've, you, you will have a lot of teachers that perhaps been taught in a system that valued sort of generic skills more than kind of knowledge, then they're going to have gaps in their, their, their knowledge. And actually, if we want them to stand in front of children, deliver an incredible geography sequence of lessons, they've got to really feel like they know what they're talking about in the same way we'd expect them to do in English or math. So the tools we give them are really important. And you made a good point earlier about kind of like the implementation of that has to involve more than just giving them a nice document that gives them the statement. It's also, it's all the training around actually what does a sequence of interesting, engaging geography sessions look like across a unit? What might that look like? So I'd be really interested in hearing from people, what kind of training you're putting in next year for your teachers is geography and history and those other subjects, you know, across the curriculum, are they getting more of the lion's share of the staff meeting time or you know, where's that going to sit next year? Are, are you having to plan a bit more of that in for next year, Steve? Yes, we certainly are. I mean, this year we tested with having our, our staff meeting 90 minutes long. So we do a 30 minute session from a wider curriculum leader and then we do a, an hour of maybe something else. It's not to say that uh, the wider curriculum only ever gets half an hour, but we let naturally give heavier weight into other areas of the curriculum or PE, for example, might need a, a longer time. But Next year, we are looking at our staff meetings and twilight sessions to make sure that wider curriculum is highly on the agenda. I mean, it's reflecting our uh, school development plan for next year, for example, and we need to give time for it to be effective. And I think that's the way we need to look at it and think, right, how best can we get this curriculum up and running to where it needs to be? And do you think one of the challenges of that, Steve, is actually having the specialists in the building that can lead that kind of training, you know? having someone that really knows their stuff in each of those subjects is because essentially you want your subject leads to become those people don't you even if they're not already yeah and i think you have to acknowledge that you're not always going to have a, a natural science leader in your building so therefore how are we going to support effectively to help with that and what cpd is necessary to drive it 
I mean, you could be giving DT to someone who's not at all creative and wants to work within the arts, but if you can support someone to give them the enthusiasm and drive to do it, they can shine then, but it takes a lot to get there. And I think yeah. um, we need to inspire and challenge and excite our teaching staff as well as our children. And I think I like that you're taking that to a really positive point, Steve, because for me, there's a lot of stress involved in all this. And I think we've said it a couple of times, but I really want to make the point, please don't knee jerk and just put cobble something together that you're going to then change in a year. That's no good for anyone's well-being. But equally recognize this is something that is going to take quite a bit of time and investment um, and energy and focus. It can't be a, a secondary thought. You know, you're either going for it or you're not. So you've got to dedicate the time and resources to this. But you're right, Steve, it should be a positive thing. It should be about empowering people and it should be a really exciting time. I mean, I'm buzzing about curriculum because I just think I already, as an adult who has been responsible for putting a lot of unit overviews together and things, I'm like, my brain is exploding with information I didn't even know before, stuff that I didn't get the joy of teaching when I was class-based because I did specialise in Upper Key Stage 2. So lots of things I didn't know about or didn't wasn't an expert in. And I just love that, I know so much more than I did. And that excites me that our children are going to get that experience and they're going to get that love of knowing stuff and being excited about knowing stuff. And I think one thing I did want to address in this podcast is I worry that for some people, uh, there's a concern that when you start talking about knowledge or a knowledge rich curriculum, that it's talked about as like an opposite end of a spectrum of something to do with skills. Like it's either not compatible or it's an opposite it's an opposite thing. But for me, one thing that was really inspiring about Andrew Percival and Claire Seeley's conference is they talked about how a knowledge rich curriculum, it it allows skills to actually happen. So, you know, I can't, so the great example I think they gave in one of the slides was, you know, if you gave me a missing angle problem in a triangle and you said, figure out the missing angle, I can't do that unless I know that the degrees in an angle have to uh, in a triangle have to add up to 180 degrees the interior angles. I don't if I don't know that I can't do the skill I can't problem solve. And this is the point that I'm making is that if we give children a knowledge rich curriculum if we allow them to acquire lots of knowledge over time and that doesn't mean sitting in a room learning rote facts in a really dull boring way that can still be really practical that could be engaging um i've got issues with the word fun as you know but it can be engaging and it can be meaningful doesn't mean that um we're not going to do skills anymore in fact like i think skills are going to be done much better in my school in future because of the emphasis on knowledge i don't know what you think about that yeah and i know um, i said earlier knowledge maps and uh, skills maps for the curriculum mm. but they are entwined at the end of the day yeah it's right you need the knowledge to develop your skills and you need your skills to demonstrate the knowledge so um, that is a lovely analogy of the uh, triangle there but but I think that's the confidence we need to have in our wider curriculum as well yeah Yeah, maths is a lot easier to go knowledge and skills and see it Um, we then need to be able to show the impact of the knowledge and skills in our wider sense and I think you get that from talking to the leaders in your school and governance and having this vision and clear message of this is how it is yeah Um, work alongside don't dictate it but work alongside with the teaching staff to ensure that there is enrichment because from that your cultural capital for the curriculum is actually very rich 
well that's and a that's great a that's a great point because i think people have, have worried that this phrase cultural capital that's been banded about and been in that Ofsted framework is seen as something separate where for me the point is your curriculum delivers cultural capital doesn't it if you know cultural capital is about access to more opportunities the wider world the you know a curriculum should provide that you know if i've got a curriculum that gives me a really broad understanding of the world and is engaging mm. and rich Again, Ross, go on sorry that will differ from school to school areas yeah. where because we all have different needs for our cultural capital to be rich yeah it's going to be it's going to have a regional element to it isn't it there's going to be some stuff which you know is generic to wherever you are in the country but there's going to be some stuff that's about specializing on the knowledge or skills that's going to really provide the children in your little pocket of the country with what they need to succeed and go and make something of themselves so i think it's an exciting time and i think i do welcome a lot of the messages ofsted are given about it but i i think it's a time more than ever for leaders to come back to their principles believe in the stuff they believe in and stick strong to that conviction i think the worst thing someone could do now is do something cobble something together they think ofsted will like then blag it to Ofsted and Ofsted kind of see through the fact that you haven't really thought it through and that you don't really you don't really get it um you know yeah yeah, that you've not thought through why you're doing what you're doing that it's not coherent that you can't articulate the purpose of it and for me it's it's an exciting time to go back to the stuff you believe in and that might look different in different parts of the country but as as long as you do it with conviction you map it out clearly and it's strategically sort of planned for it's gonna be a lot better than it is at the moment i would imagine in in many schools yeah brilliant way to end our thing there russell because uh a love islands on very shortly oh steve appearance shocking craig (laughs) david's on tonight is he Oh, I know. Don't get me started. Even I had to chuckle about that one. Well, there's your cultural capital. Hang on. Isn't Sunday the day he chilled in that song that he sang? <laughs> I said that last night. Oh, yeah. did I? Oh, exactly. I, ni- I nicked your joke. It's not working right for him, is it? No. All right. Well, look, guys, we've, we're, we're getting very knowledge um, poor getting on to Love Island and Craig David. So, uh, look, I hope that was uh, food for thought for you. Um, we want to be joined by Claire Seeley, who's been a brilliant voice in education this year. And whether you agree with everything she talks about or not, she is undeniably uh, fascinating, engaging, intelligent and has thought a ridiculous amount about this stuff so we look forward to having a chat with her about this and uh i'm keen to ask claire about some of her biggest bugbears linked to curriculum some of the stuff that's been winding her up uh in the last couple of months so claire you've got a bit of time to have a think about that and we'll catch up with you in a couple of weeks but guys you've got a couple of weeks left to term i encourage you to keep a smile on your face i encourage you to listen back to our episode two on well-being uh where we talked or Stuart newbury talked about how our um, well-being is not attached to results because some of you will be uh, by the time you listen to this okay. you'll have had your sats results and you may get news that you didn't want to hear um but i encourage you to remember that our well we're always okay regardless of our, our results and you know results are just an indicator of stuff that might have gone on seven years ago six years ago five years ago and so on um stick firm to your principles and the things you want to do in your school and don't be too uh bogged down just by what happens on tuesday and we can do it and we will get to the end of term this time next week we'll be into single figures for our countdown and you're so right we need to look after ourselves and year six year two teachers going through the sats it's not all down to us so let's not put it all on our shoulders 
Uh, we'll get through it, we'll fight through it, and we'll come back even better next year. Great message to end on. Guys, have a wonderful couple of weeks. Keep smiling. Keep getting enough rest and sleep because you'll need it. And uh, we look forward to speaking to you again soon. See you, everyone. Bye. Don't keep the deputy.